grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus, dear friends. The part of God's Word that we'll consider this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Since it is a record of our Savior's words, I invite you to please stand. Jesus is speaking here. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. These verses that we just read bring us to the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew were devoted to this important message. And the impact that it had on those who were listening was plain to see. Matthew tells us that the crowds were amazed because Jesus taught as one who had authority. Throughout the course of this sermon, Jesus would set up his teaching in this way. He would say to them, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And this is not what the people were used to at that time from their preachers and teachers. The Jewish rabbis loved to point people to the tradition of the elders they loved to appeal to the judgments of rabbis who had come before them. They loved to speculate about all kinds of things and to debate about even the smallest of things. They loved to talk. But clear guidance, solid truth, that was in short supply, despite the volume of their words. But when Jesus, the Son of God, spoke, Things were different. 
People recognized it. They appreciated it. They were even amazed by it. If that sort of preaching and teaching were shared today, would people respond in the same way? Obviously, we don't have Jesus here to preach to us this morning. But by God's grace, we do have his word. That's what the Apostle Peter reminded us of earlier. He said, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. By God's grace, we have the authoritative truth of Jesus' word. So why would any gospel minister ever settle for sharing anything less than that? And why would God's people ever settle for receiving anything less than that? As we begin this sermon series on the gift of gospel ministry, Jesus wants us to know first and foremost that gospel ministry must always stand on the truth of his word. Now in the verses right before our section, Jesus had said this, Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. One of the reasons for this is the presence of false teachers in our world. And so Jesus gives that warning. He says, watch out for false prophets. Pay attention. Because they may look harmless, they may even seem helpful. They come in sheep's clothing. False teachers don't raise their hand and say, look at me, listen to me, I'm a false teacher. No, they present themselves as part of the flock. And much of what they say may seem to ring true to our ears. Maybe they talk an awful lot about love. Who could ever be against that, right? But then under the banner of love, they justify all kinds of sinful activity. Maybe they talk an awful lot about unity among God's people. Who could be against that? But then with that call for unity, they quickly discard any Bible teachings that people struggle to agree on. Maybe they talk a lot about good works done for the glory of God and for the good of our fellow man. But before long, the focus is more on the works that we do rather than on the work that Jesus has done for us. So Jesus says, watch out. Pay attention. And how are we to recognize the danger? Well, Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The fruit of something is the natural outflow of whatever that something is. So, for example, the fruit of an apple tree is apples, right? The fruit of an automaker is autos. So what's the fruit of a prophet, the fruit of a pastor, the fruit of a teacher? It's the message. That has to be the ultimate test. Is their teaching in line with Jesus' word of truth? Are they saying the things 
that Jesus said? Are they meaning the things that Jesus meant? Or are they sharing their own ideas? Are they cherry-picking parts of God's Word to make it say whatever they want it to say rather than what it actually says? They may come in sheep's clothing, but Jesus says inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. If they are teaching something contrary to the Word, then they are doing damage, no matter how they may dress it up. If their teaching is not in line with that Word, then ultimately it undermines the Word. And so Jesus says, watch out. And again, this is a warning for both preachers and God's people alike. We can go back to that question I asked earlier. Why would any gospel minister ever settle for sharing anything less than Jesus' word of truth? And why would God's people ever settle for receiving anything less? But Jesus isn't quite finished with his warning here. He goes on and tells us that there may be some who look the part and even sound the part, but still not be what they claim to be. It's not just about having the right teaching or saying the right things. It's about having hearts that are shaped by that message. Hearts that are connected by faith to Jesus. The Savior continues and says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There's no question that this is a wake-up call for any pastors or anyone who claims to speak for God. To think that Jesus could say, yes, you had the truth of my word. You shared it with others. But did you do so out of love for your hearers? With a sincere desire for their eternal salvation? Or just because it was kind of your job? Yes, you had my word. You shared it with others. But did you actually practice what it preached? You conducted your ministry under the banner of my name. But was it your name that you were often more concerned about? Your advancement rather than that of the kingdom? If that's the case, Jesus will say, I never knew you. It's a wake-up call for all of us as God's people. So you found a church that teaches the truth. You listened regularly, but did you do much about it? Did you repent when God's Word confronted you with sin? Did you seek to change your ways and align your lives with the message that you heard? You found a church that teaches God's Word, but what did you do with it? Did you share that message of salvation with others? Did you support the sharing of that message with your generous gifts and your investment of time? Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does 
the will of my Father. So what is God's will? That we hear His Word? That we repent of our sins? That we trust in Jesus for our forgiveness? And that we serve Him with our lives? Just as we look for the fruit of a prophet, their message, so also we look for the fruits of the message. Repentance, faith, and love. The Word of God on which this gospel ministry must stand wasn't given for its own sake. It was given for our sake and for the sake of others. It was given in order to confront us with sin and lead us to repentance. It was given in order to present Jesus to us and to carry us into His arms, create saving faith in our hearts. The message of our Savior's love that stands at the center of the Scriptures is one that's meant to fill our hearts so that we can be ready to share that love with others. The promise of salvation that's contained from start to finish in God's Word is one that's meant to be shared with all people. This gospel call for us to devote our lives to following Jesus, it's a serious one. Only the one who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. God wants us to build our lives around that word. He wants us not only to hear and learn that word, but then also to put it into practice with lives of daily repentance, constant faith, and sincere love for God and for one another. And so as Jesus brings this Sermon on the Mount to a close, he tells a simple story to illustrate all of this for us, and especially to remind us of just how much it really matters. He tells this story about two builders. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus wants us to build our lives and our ministries on him and on his word. Now as individuals, it takes time and effort to hear God's word daily, to attend worship regularly, to commit ourselves to Bible study. But the result of these things is well worth the effort. This is how we sink our roots deep into the only foundation that can last. As a congregation, it takes time and effort and money to offer the sort of opportunities for lifelong spiritual growth that we offer here. It takes time and effort to bring new people through a discipleship class rather than just giving them a tour of our church and asking for a quick commitment. But again, the result is well worth the effort. Because when we dig into God's Word together, we hear again about the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. We are assured again of God's love and forgiveness for our every sin. We learn again what God's will for our lives really is. Wise building begins with listening. But again, it can't end there. We also have to take these words of Jesus then and put them into practice in our lives. That means that we let them permeate all that we are, that we let them guide everything that we do. That's what we heard in our lesson from Deuteronomy today. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. 
talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. When by the power of God's Holy Spirit we are led to take His words to heart and put them into practice in our lives and in the life of our congregation, then like that wise man, we are building on a solid foundation, one that's going to last. But Jesus also talks about that foolish builder. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. We want to remember here that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was directed primarily to his disciples, to believers. And so these words also are a warning for you and I. Just because I am a pastor, just because we are regular in God's house, doesn't mean that we can't sometimes act like this foolish builder. If we know what God wants for our lives, but refuse to do it, we're building on sand. There's always the danger that we can hear God's gracious love and forgiveness, but then turn around and live our lives as people who have not been cleansed from sin, people who are not thankful for His grace. What good is it to know Jesus' love if that love has no impact on our hearts and lives? What good is it to know what Jesus wants if we have no intention of doing it? Our Savior gives us these words so that we might each examine our hearts and lives. See how we're building. You know, these two houses in Jesus' story would have looked pretty much the same on the outside, on the surface. But the most important part of them, the foundation, was buried below. In the same way, people's lives and even Christian congregations can look very similar on the surface, regardless of whether they are built on Christ and His Word or not. But the day will come when these lives, when these ministries will be tested and their foundation revealed. Jesus says the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the houses. Now, the occasional storms and floods that sometimes affect our communities are often very hit and miss. One house may be severely tested and another left entirely untouched. That's not how it is with the tests and storms that Jesus is talking about here. They're going to come. We live in a world ruined by sin, a world that's constantly changing, a world that seems to be growing more and more hostile to God and His Word every single day. The tests are going to come. As individuals, it may come in the form of bad news from a doctor. It may come in the form of this certain sin or temptation that we're really struggling with. It may be the unraveling of some close family relationship that we've enjoyed for years. All of these things and so much more can test the foundation which we're built. For a congregation, it may be the temptation to sort of water down the message, to better align ourselves with the world around us. Maybe the temptation to overlook sin in a congregation so as to promote peace, harmony. Maybe the temptation to grow comfortable, complacent with our ministry, rather than constantly seeking the lost in our community. The tests are going to come, and ultimately everyone will be tested. On the last day when we stand before the Lord Jesus, the foundation on which our lives and ministries are built 
will be plain to see. But in Jesus' story, that house built on the rock stood firm because its foundation was solid. The house built on the sand, well, it fell with a great crash. It was a complete loss. So we see just how much it matters, right? It's the difference between standing firm and falling with a great crash. It's ultimately the difference between eternal life and eternal death. Gospel ministry must always stand on the truth of Jesus' words. When we build on that truth, then we can be sure that we're going to stand firm both now and for eternity. And not because we are such good builders, but rather because the foundation on which God in His grace has set us is so very, very strong. Jesus, our Savior, and His word of truth. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.